Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where inspiring stories are brought to life. This podcast is made possible by Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. I'm your host, Dr. Drew Flam. This is the Grace Story Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Deb Musser. She holds a doctorate in clinical psychology with a certificate in group work from Adler University, a master's in counseling from Grace College, and is licensed in the state of Indiana as a mental health counselor. This marks Deb's 22nd year at Grace College. 14 of those years include Deb's work in student affairs with groups and individuals in a college setting. She has experience with a wide variety of populations and settings, including children in elementary schools, college students, adolescents in juvenile detention centers, grief groups, and community mental health. She has assessment experience, and Deb in particular has experience working with our students here at Grace. We are so thankful for her tireless work on behalf of our students, and Deb, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Well, we want to talk a little bit, um, certainly about your day-to-day work with students, Um, but also, you know, during this time of COVID-19, what your work looks like with students, but also how that applies to the rest of us. Um, I may be the only one, um, (laughs) but um, I'll I'll do some public uh, counseling about anxiety (laughs) and and fear and even depression that we all to some level are Hmm. likely experiencing through this um, unnerving time. So thanks for being willing to share. But yeah, talk to us first about um, counseling at Grace. There may be alumni listening to this who say, you know, I don't remember there being a counseling office when I went there, or um, I don't remember that being as much a central part Hmm. of the college experience. So tell us a little bit about what your office does and how it's set up and how you work with students. Yeah, I would be one of those alumni. I think when I was here, if you went to counseling, you kind of did like Nicodemus in the dark of the night so that no one knew that you (laughs) were around. Um, I think there was such a, I think there was such a stigma related to anything related to mental health. We didn't talk about it like it is talked about today. Uh, When I came back, uh, it was a little bit better, but still you went there if you got in trouble. You went there if you wanted to get help, but still you didn't really talk about it. We live a little bit differently right now, which is pretty exciting for me. I think that many more students come in with language related to, I'm not doing so well. That seems to be okay a little bit more. I'll talk about where our barriers still show up. But I, I think when we have athletes, when we have performers, and we have other people saying, hey, I am depressed or I have self-harmed, that gives permission on some level. I remember when Princess Di talked about self-harming, and that mm. kind of changed the conversation that if she could struggle, maybe other people could. So I think that more people come ready. However, I think we have our, our own unique things that keep us from coming. So I, I think that sometimes we think it's not for me or that other people wouldn't want me to come. That said, people come. So mm-hmm. last year we saw 28% of the campus, which is wow. staggering, and I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. Um, this year we're going to have over 2,700 counseling sessions, which is going to break a record on a year that we had COVID. Mm-hmm. I think some people might hear that. I want to say this. That isn't to say that we are a really unhealthy campus or there's something really wrong. I think what it says is life is painful. And we are not immune to that as college students, as believers. And there are more courageous folks who are saying, hey, I've got the chance to look at this. I'm going to take that chance. 
and spend some time figuring out what happens internally so that I can live differently. Mm. So that's been really exciting. What that looks like for us is we are open Monday through Friday. My clinical team is fantastic every year. I can't say enough about my team this year. We are made up largely of interns that come from Huntington University, also from Grace College, and then a couple clinical staff that have their licenses. We see up to or have up to 110 sessions on a given week. So folks will come over and it's usually a 50-minute session and so we are busy. We have nights that were open. I've, I've been thankful that we could offer student teachers and others the opportunity to be able to come back and see us We have a crisis hour. Not everyone knows about that, but we do have an hour set aside. So if someone walks in and says, I'm not doing okay, that we could have those those folks be seen that day. And then I'm on call Mm 24-7. So I work with the Residence Life team, in particular the RD on call. So if it's 3 in the morning and struggle has gotten really loud, there's a person on site that RD is making an assessment related to what's going on and how can we most help. And then I'm on the other end of the phone trying to determine what our next steps would be. So that's a snapshot of what it would look like on our end. Yeah, it is amazing all the work that you do and um, often unrecognized and behind the scenes and and, um, dealing with um, people's problems Mm -hmm. and at their greatest time of need, which is also a time when you are able to give the greatest Mm -hmm. hope there is. Um, What are some of the misconceptions? You said students have a better language now than I would have had um, (laughs) in my college years about what is mental health and Mm -hmm. why is counseling a good thing. But there's still these misconceptions. Mm-hmm. So so what are some of those for college students as it relates to mental and emotional health? Okay. I wrote them down because I wanted to kind of capture over the course of what we look at. Sure, sure. I think one of the common things I'll hear is that my pain is not the same as someone else's in the sense of theirs is more important, theirs is harder. So I think a lot of times we can invalidate our own pain and And I try to level the ground there. Pain is pain. I think that when we stack it side by side, we get into comparisons games that aren't fair. So I hear that a lot. My pain is not as big as someone else's. Um, I will hear a lot of times I'm the only one who struggles, at least to this depth. So I Mm. walk on campus and everyone looks okay. People sing in chapel and people do okay in their classes. and, And I am the one that doesn't do those things. I am not okay. And so there are times I wish that confidentiality didn't exist for me. I wish I could let everyone know, I just heard that three hours ago, you are not alone. Because in the mental health field, what we know is the secrecy and the shame and the pushing things down is what exasperates those things, right? To know that I'm not the only one that has to figure out a really upside down world can actually be some of the most freeing information. Mm. Um, I think some of our students will say, Um, you go there if you're crazy. I think that's from my generation Mm -hmm. that you only go to seek services if it is paramount to you being locked up somewhere or you are having a title that isn't fair. I think that proactive work is really, really essential so that we're not just dealing with the fallout. On a Christian campus, we have sometimes things that we claim that are super not fair, I'll be honest. The if I prayed harder, if I leaned in with God more, if my trust were stronger, then I wouldn't. And the equation is if I do these things, then I won't have pain. I don't see that anywhere in the Word of God. I'm so thankful, actually, that we see very real men and women who were broken and lived in broken worlds and God leaned in and met them there and let us see that. Mm. But I do think that there lives in this 
idea within our world of if I did it better faith-wise, then I wouldn't struggle at all. Now, our faith can make a difference. Even people who don't know Jesus will say having faith gives you a level of protection that's different than people who don't have something to believe in. People who don't know Jesus say that. So we can claim that there is a difference in something to lean in Mm. that gives me meaning, that gives me hope, but we're not immune to it. Help is different than being immune to pain. So I would say we have a fair share of that. A small campus has both good and bad. So I think there's this, if I go, will someone know? I'm really thankful for where we're right now located. Having it at the Jihawk means there's tons of students going over there. Way on the edge of campus. And we are located with the nurse, so people don't know if you're going because they have a cough or something else. So that's been really cool. But small campus reality is that it's a little bit easier for people to know your business. Students would say that often. I can't get away anywhere. But the flip of that, that's the beauty of what we get to do. It's the one place, perhaps, where you go and it can be your space, which brings me to the next one, which is, is it really confidential? And so if people find in the structure of where we work, I mean, the dean of students is my boss, so there might be the perception that what we say might be spoken to faculty or staff or to the residence life staff. Confidentiality exists in our world, just like it would down the street at another center, but I think there can be a misconception mm-hmm. that it's not gonna really be my confidential place. Sometimes that gets tricky. So 18 is the age of consent. So that also means if someone says, I know you see my daughter or my friend or my roommate, not confirming or denying is is helpful for a client, a student client, but can sometimes feel like not everyone gets to know that might want to know. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a misconception that I like to clear up, that 18-year-olds and above get to make a decision for their mental health that I hope that they'll make for the rest of their life. Right. Do those uh, misconceptions you think um, are pretty similar, like eighteen and beyond, for mm-hmm. for folks regardless of of age, or do you huh. see some generational oh. difference in misconceptions yeah. around mental and emotional health? One, and I I probably use an N of N, N of one with myself here on this <laughs> one, but. Yeah. You have doctor in front of your name, so you can... (laughs) I get to say that. No, I I think that generations have looked at mental health differently. I think that the Christian community has looked at mental health differently. I think now that in the last year, at my church, we've talked about mental health publicly when that wouldn't have been done when I was a kid. I I grew up believing that if I loved Jesus the best I could, I would not... I might struggle, but I wouldn't be depressed. I might really stumble, but I'm not going to be anxious. So that was my and my my youth group, my church, my family system, my small town. That's kind of what we just believed and mm-hmm. said. So, yeah, I do think there's generational for sure. And I think that I get excited about the next generations to come that might have permission because of f- folks who have done their own work with that. I think location can also impact that, small city, big city. I think on our campus there might be certain populations – that are really, really busy, but also might face barriers with counseling. So being an athlete, having um, to always put on the the mindset of uh, go out there and do your very best and win, and we don't have time maybe to, to kind of stop and look at this thing right now, may not have the time or sometimes their own permission to come in. So if I extend that, are there people in our world who don't have permission maybe to go to counseling? Sure. Mm. I wonder if every CEO or every pastor or every whatever the position is 
might face their own barriers in going because of how that would be perceived. Mm -hmm. So I love it when people will break that down and we'll talk about it. That's been exciting for me to say I'm going to come in anyway. One of the things um, uh, Grace has decided to do is provide a certain number of sessions for mm-hmm. free. Tell us just a little bit about the the structure. A student comes in and is like, I'm struggling. Like, what happens now? Okay. So we have a pre-registration form that's online, which allows anyone to do it without anyone knowing. You don't have to go to the counseling center to get started. But once you submit that, we get you connected to a therapist, and we set up the first appointment. And during the first appointment, We do something called an informed consent, which basically says, here's the rules of the game. We're going to let you know. We talk about confidentiality there. Despite that there's confidentiality, for example, I couldn't keep to myself that someone is wanting to hurt themselves or others. I couldn't keep to myself that there's a minor who's in a situation that is not safe. So we lay the ground rules. But one of those ground rules includes you get free sessions here. We put the number at eight. There's nothing magical about that. There's eight per um, semester, which means if you go every other week, you're never going to have to pay. And I, I do want to say that there's never a um, monetary barrier that we will not erase. This isn't about making money. It's actually about stewardship of of what I have been given. I think that when we didn't, there was this, well, they're free. I can go whenever I want. And so more of an option to uh, not have to make everyone count. Hmm. And so I, I found, and it's been fascinating for me to see that a $5 uh, bill creates that kind of decision making, right? Like, how can I make these count because I don't want to pay? Are you worth a cup of coffee, Deb Muster? And I think there's been this part on my end of my relevancy with those that I sit with stands in the balance. And so we're not just passing time. We're not just having coffee. We have fun. We have good times. We have hard times, but we do work in there too. And so is it worth the money? Wow, that's great. Um, that uh, I'm so thankful we're able to assist mm. our students in that way, and it's made a priority. Um, this is maybe a bit anecdotal. You may not have the exact stats, but I'm just interested to know um, if you're able to share. Okay. Um, what percentage of students would you say are coming, and this is really the first time that they've ever engaged formal counseling mm. of some measure, um, versus how many students are coming and, hey, this is just a continuation of a, of a journey I've been on. Of all the stats that I have with me, Drew, that would be the one yeah, that well, I don't have. Anecdotal, yeah. I, understand. I would say 25% to 35% come in saying I, I've done it at some point. Okay. It may not be that I was doing it right before I got to Grace, but at some point in my life I've been. Um, yeah, and then the rest would be this is new to me. I've never done this. And then folks can go over time. So someone would be a freshman, not go their sophomore and junior year, mm-hmm. but come back. Sure. So their first time was still at Grace, but it's their second time in doing therapy. Yep, yep. It still yep. says there's a significant portion of our students who this is their first time mm-hmm. engaging the process. Absolutely. Um, in your role, uh, certainly there is you know, more formal counseling mm-hmm. with a, a certain number of students. But there's also just kind of caring for the general mm-hmm emotional and mental well-being of campus Mm -hmm. Um, and speaking into how all of us, whether Mm -hmm. we're in counseling or not, uh, need to take care of our mental and emotional health. What are some ways that that's done a little bit more campus-wide? Yeah, I 
at the very beginning of the year, I have a lot of opportunities to be in front of certain groups of people. So uh, I meet with new faculty or I meet with the whole faculty at large to just talk about what are the realities. Like I know that across campuses in the U.S. that the numbers of people asking me in counseling is going through the roof. It's not Mm -hmm. commiserate with the, the growth rate of the campus. And there's a lot more crisis that's happening. So it's not just I want to meet every week, but there's I am in immediate crisis now. Suicide is the second highest on college campuses. Wow. A lot of folks don't know that. And so to educate um, folks that could be around our students is really important. I think that sometimes other generations or we as a people in the United States have have really – I don't want to even say demonize it. We have used words that are not fair for this generation, that they are fragile, that they are snowflakes. And I, I know that those came from somewhere. Um, but I think that we, that we simplify a pretty complex idea. And so really trying to get rid of some of that ideology mm-hmm. to educate and to also help. I think our faculty, our staff sometimes want to know, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Is any pain something that I need to send someone to the counseling center? Or is there something that I can do? So it's really exciting to let people know that presence counts. Most of us, honestly, having an eyeball, set of eyeballs look at us and say, I'm hearing you and I'm with you. The amount of freedom and distress reduction that that can be is pretty huge. So I let people know like what their lane is. Mm-hmm. I go into campus or uh, into um, classrooms, and so, uh, for example, Dr. Rich, they discuss a book that has some triggering content in it. So I talk to them both related to the triggering content, but we talk to those who are going to be educators, what might you see in your classroom so that they would be prepared for maybe signs that they may not pick up. Uh, this year, I got to go speak to a group, a softball team, because a coach had the insight to say, let's be really proactive and let me see my players holistically that they are not immune either to challenges that come with mental health. Um, I'm in chapel. I, I I like to go wherever I'm asked to come. I do like to talk. And so and I've been here long enough that I think in many respects, like I feel pretty protective of this campus in the sense of. Um, I care and I want us to to talk openly. I also, as a believer, get a little, uh, I tell my students the word crispy when I just mean like on edge of like, we of any people as believers have to be talking about this. There's a world that is screaming that for us to plug our ears not only makes us not relevant to them, but inside of our churches silences folks that that really do want to talk about that and find out what does the Word of God, what does Jesus mean in the midst of this. So I think educating across campus in any way that I can becomes something that I want to do that way. You do a great job with public speaking, and I think that is another way to begin bringing down the Hmm. barriers just to um, have those who are out front Hmm. talking about what might the triggers be? Yeah. Um, what are signs as a faculty and staff yep. member when, hey, yeah, that there's some coaching and mentoring, yeah. and then there's they need some counseling, yes. and you're probably not qualified yes, for that. Absolutely. Um, I know even that's been helpful for me mm-hmm. to 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 hear those own uh, things and, and be able to see it when I work with students. Yeah. Um, so uh, the last, let's see, eight weeks, okay. um, life has changed it for has. all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of us have experienced uh, some level, I shouldn't say all of us, most of us mm-hmm. have experienced some level of anxiety, stress, maybe even depression. But let's talk specifically about students. Okay. They're, they're displaced from campus, mm-hmm. um, not of their own doing. Uh, it happens quickly. Yeah. They have to finish classes online. I mean, just 
a whole host of life transitions when you're in a period of life that is all about transition. So you're <laughs> yes. just stacking them. Yes. Um, what have you seen from students and, and how have you been able to keep doing your job yeah. of protecting our campus <laughs> um, through the midst of this? Uh, you know, it's been interesting. I, I do think there's a continuum of where people are falling of how they're doing. I also think there's a continuum that moves. So where I was at six weeks ago could be exactly the same or it could have nuances now. I think that we saw a lot of shock at first. And so I think the quickness that you talked about, it it came quick because of the world that was around us and needing to make decisions nonetheless. Um, I think it just happened. And then the decisions that had to come after that, I honestly thought we'd have far more students that would be moving out on Sunday. Um, but we had a lot that left early. And I think there was just such a need to get home. There was so much unrest mm. in the world around us. And then the adjustment came, right, of I'm shocked. I'm doing education perhaps in a way that is brand new to me or not my my preferred method. And so there's a shock level with that. But I'm also readjusting. I'm readjusting as a young adult back into my home where my freedoms might be different. I might have more freedoms at home. I may have less, but nonetheless, they're different. Finding myself back in the role of a, a child within the family versus the autonomous college student who can go to McDonald's at two in the morning if they want. <laughs> so I think that adjustment has been pretty big for students. Morning has certainly been at the top of the list. I, I think most seniors have been this group that I just... I haven't been able to stop thinking about mm. them. Like, we live with our students. And so to know, like, to go the three or four years, to have honed your craft, to be ready to have the art exhibit, to go out and play your final season, to have the performance that you've been wanting to do, to get the grade in the class that says you get to go on to grad school, those things are happening, but they're not celebrated in the way that we typically do. I've even mourned like seniors getting to do their last joust or the seniors getting to say something to a freshman. I was the freshman that a senior said, Deb, I see something in you. And I thought the world had mm -hmm. stopped. And so seniors kind of getting to leave their legacy with students. Is it happening? We want, we should be able to do anything we can to make it happen, but it's not happening in the way that we prefer. Yeah. Um, I think that shock was happening. I think that adjustment, I think for some people, there's been positive. So if the campus that I come to stretches me regularly, going to a class of 25 sets my anxiety on fire. And so every day that I go, it is a, a sacrifice on some level to subdue the loud inside and sit in a lecture. So for some students, being at home has actually reduced some barriers for them. Having a screen, some of my clients that we are now doing teletherapy, just having a screen there can sometimes just make it a little less intense. Mm. I might be willing to say some things or talk about some things in a different way, or I might do class differently because I have that remote piece. So it's, I think it's important to remember that for some, this has actually been an okay thing, and that's, that's something we're celebrating too. I've noticed a fair share of flipping the days and nights. I think mm. we're used to going home quick when we're at a break. And so you can't afford to be up till three in the morning and sleep until two in the afternoon because it's break. It doesn't work so well when you've got classes <laughs> that are either synchronous or I've got homework to do. And so I've had multiple conversations about flipping those back, um, whether that's parents who are concerned, whether that's students who are concerned. Motivation has over time, I have found, been a real struggle for folks. I think some of them, for the reasons of, I don't know, Enneagram stuff, anyone who's into that, I'm a seven, and I like lots of change, and I 
I am bored of the same thing that I'm doing every day in such a strong way. So some folks, I think motivation's coming out of that. For others, I think motivation's coming out of flipped days and nights, their own mental health. If I'm already anxious and the TV tells me that there's a thousand cases here and the economy is dropping and now meat is going to be more expensive or not there, man, motivation can kind of fly out the window in Mm. light of how loud everything else is. That's hard when there's grades on the line and, and when there's things that need to happen in order for me to pass. Those I think would be, the, oh, let me say one more thing, resiliency. So again, let me get on my bandwagon just a second. The, the population, the generation that we have with us who have some generational characteristics that we see, often this word resiliency is used as something that it's lacking. I'm not going to completely disagree with that. I think my generation were at lacked insight about intel. Um, the internal world, you were taught on some level, you pull yourself up, you you dust yourself off, you get going. I believe you can do it, and you're going to do it on your own. I think that this generation hasn't always been taught that. So part of my bandwagon is we can't be mad at, gen- at a generation that we've created conditions for. Mm. And so we haven't always taught the conditions of what it means to fail, what it means to not be perfect, and that's okay. That said, the resiliency that I'm seeing, the students who have went home and re-engaged a new environment quickly and who are doing class remotely when it's their least favorite, who are doing counseling when they would rather be here and doing a face-to-face, the resiliency of this generation is showing up there. And so I, I think there's been hard things for sure, but I also have seen this like thread of strength that our students are exhibiting that is profound and beautiful. Wow. I really appreciate your balanced perspective and Mm -hmm. and to say, hey, there's some folks that are struggling more because Mm -hmm. of this. There's some that in ways are struggling less. Mm -hmm. Uh, And hey, yes, there are some negatives we see happening amongst our student population. Mm -hmm. There's some positives we see happening amongst our our student population. It's not all bad. um, And it's not all good. (laughs) Um, That's kind of life. Mm -hmm. COVID-19 or not. Yes, yes. Um, but it's uh, neat to see that you're seeing some strengths emerge hmm. uh, from this generation uh, because of what they're having to face yeah. in such uncertain times. Yeah. Um, I know I have interacted with students that it's been neat to see some of them have, uh, re- regardless of their major, turned into those who are helping in nursing homes. Yeah. And said, no, you know mm-hmm. what? I, this is my time to step up as yeah. a healthy young person yep. to do something significant for society. And I'm like, wow. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I, I was part of the decision to send students home. Mm-hmm. And I got a text from a senior that same day saying, thank you for your leadership on our campus. Huh. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, my life is not that hard mm. compared to a senior who just got yeah. sent home. Yeah. Um, it's just been neat to yeah. see some of the ways our students have stepped up to the yeah. plate and out in faith. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to do some uh, some COVID-19 um, counseling for Drew Flam. I give my full consent. Um, <laughs> and maybe others can can benefit. But one of the things I've noticed for myself is um, each day is different. Mm. Like one day I'm like, ah, working from home, (laughs) get to see the family more. This is kind of nice. And then the next day I'm like, if I have one more Zoom meeting, (laughs) um, you know, uh, and I don't know why, but I'm just on edge and kind of angry today. And then the next day I'm like, oh, (laughs) this is kind of nice. And I'm going, 
why is it? Why am I so up and down mm-hmm. right now? But what are some, you know, I don't know what even what the term is, coping mechanisms hmm. or um, skills I should okay. put into my like daily routine that would help me even it out a little yeah. bit more or maybe I shouldn't even <laughs> it out. I don't know. You're the, no, you're the counselor I actually, here. I actually would say both of those things. I, I think that I'm very intrigued with sometimes people, America's really good at this of I need to reduce and get rid of all distress or anxiety because it's all bad. And the fact is some of what we're feeling is in response to an upside down world. We should be having a response to that. Uh, and so I, I do want to normalize that of like if there if we were absent and I'm not saying if people are devoid of any kind of distress that they're doing something wrong. It's just we I in 53 years have never seen this world like this mm. ever. Yeah. And so we are doing things that we are having to try out before we've even seen them done. We have social media and and news coming at us in ways that we've never had it coming. And it's not just U.S. It's worldwide. Yeah. So in that way, I guess I want to just say. Don't get lost in it, but also recognize as a human, when life happens, we are wired and made to have impact from that, which actually can be helpful. For me to get nervous before I talk to you here is helpful (laughs) so that I don't disregard that it's kind of a big deal that I want to be thoughtful about things. But I do think there's some things that when distress is screaming, when it is loud, our ability to function starts to falter there. So the, a lot of, I'm going to just say, a lot of the strategies, I think that people will say, are you serious? Do you get paid to really give people this kind of <laughs> um, education? But it's really the doing it that's the big thing. So I would say it's the routine of life. It's having a, especially for students maybe that are, that are or anyone who's staying up later or every day is kind of like a Saturday or a Sunday, having a structure that gives meaning to each day can help normalize that a little bit. Um, anxiety right now is extra high for good reason. So one of the cool ways that God has made our body is that we can't be calm and really, really anxious at the same time. We just can't do that. So when we are highly anxious, our mind is going a mile a minute. Sometimes it's hard to get that to stop. Some people experience panic attacks and that are so scary and so real. It is physically and emotionally taxing. Mm. Some people are just falling asleep or not falling asleep because of the head that's going on. Whatever the symptomology Breathing can be a really big help there. So when we tend to be nervous, we breathe shallowly, we breathe, we breathe quickly. Diaphragmic breathing is this big word that just means we breathe so deeply. I, I tell people this way, if you put your hand over your belly button and you're breathing correctly, you'll actually move your hand out because it's deep breathing. Mm. And deep breathing done over time and done consistently sends this message to our body that thinks that there's a bear there, so therefore I need to run or, or fight. It sends a message of there is no bear. And, and what can happen is even though our head still has things to figure out, there's still COVID around, there's still Zoom meetings to do, our b- body begins to believe that it can ratchet itself down. And so that's really helpful. So I am very much advocating that people really engage deep breathing in ways that give their body a chance to catch up with what's been going on in the day. Um, other coping strategies, know what you're thinking about. So saying... COVID is the worst time in my life. I will fail every class. Though we might believe it to be true, if we just keep saying that, that's the narrative in our brain. So the narrative that is going to be uh, promoting the emotions that we feel and the things that we do, right? If I'm going to fail 
why do I even do homework on this day? Mm. If I hate a Zoom meeting, for me, I hate, I feel like everyone's looking at me on those Zoom meetings. That's probably my stuff. <laughs> but, but if I believe and just keep telling myself that, I will live that narrative out versus everyone's not staring at me. The fact of the matter is they're a little box on my screen and they see lots of other little boxes, not just Deb Musser. If I believe that school is really hard, but, but... We have a resource on campus called Connie Burkholder, who's amazing, who's going to help unlock doors if you need it. If I believe for me to sit down and try will give me some measure, if I believe I can talk to a prof, that I'm really, that believing piece, that thought piece, if I also believe that I don't matter, if I believe that life is going to, if I believe that God is not on the throne right now, though it is fair to ask the question, always fair. If I keep telling myself the narrative, it mm. will become my reality. Does mm. that make sense? Well, you know, and it, it's true anytime, right? Uh, repeating truth. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's where we as believers um, have an advantage, hmm. right? Like we know truth and we have access yeah. to it. Uh, we just sometimes have to remember that we have access to that truth yeah. and and need to repeat it to ourselves and yeah, that's good. It's the daily habits. It's yeah. the little things yep. um, that add up. It's the so you're telling me I need to put you know dress pants on every day <laughs> yes. instead of sweatpants. Right. Okay. Right. Well, I right. don't know if we're gonna go that far, but <laughs> um, but I, I I absolutely see the need for a, mm-hmm. a schedule, the need to try to create some version of normalcy. Yeah. yeah. Um, it may be a new normal, um, but yet the ability to access truth and repeat what it is. Um, um, for me to yeah. be and look healthy emotionally. Absolutely. I would add, like, know the emotions. I'm really intrigued. There's a, a doctor uh, out of Yale who's studying just emotional intelligence, but part, his way of going at it is we are more than glad and sad. Um, we are all all variances of emotions. And so being able to ad- adequately identify this is really how I'm feeling gives us a much better chance not only to understand why and what's going on, but a better chance to also say, is there a different way that I want to feel? Hmm. And what's the path between those two? Now, that is not always just a snap of the fingers, but I think that there's far more uh, volition that we might have than we feel, especially when we're cooped up. So I think emotional intelligence counts here. People count big. Have your people, whether that is one, whether that is 10, because sometimes telling myself truth is not going to work. It's like a woman, women talk about this, but if I don't feel pretty and everyone just keeps telling me that I'm pretty, it kind of bounces off, except for certain people who have my attention and the work that I have to do to believe it myself. So sometimes you might have to say, who will I trust when I don't trust myself? Who will tell me truth when I don't know how to believe it? So having those resources of people around, and I'll add one more thing. I love this idea, well, you brought up one of them, getting outside of our own story, like doing for others expands us in some way, right? We get to see other stories. We get to do something that gives us a yes. sense of like purpose and meaning in what we did. So that really counts. This opposite emotion idea is sometimes when we're sad, you listen to a sad song, you watch a sad movie. I'm mad. I do the same thing. Sometimes we need to give ourselves the permission to do the opposite. So we get a breather. Being sad 24-7, angry 24-7 is exhausting and not always in our control. So sometimes putting on a day something that's going to be lighthearted or funny or joyful can give us a chance to get our head above waters and feel differently for a moment before we return to the hard work of figuring out 
how to live in an upside down world. Hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No. And um, again, we go back to scripture. I was telling our kids this morning, we were talking about love. You know, what's Hmm. the greatest commandment? Love the Lord, but love others. Mm -hmm. And um, it's the greatest commandment because it gives us such great purpose um, to love others and show that love to others. Um, I do want to ask about uh, kids. Um, Since we're in the the Drew Flame counseling session here. (laughs) Um, So uh, kids are just family in general people in general mm. we uh, in this period of time are not only caring for ourselves mm. um, which is important but like you just said we, we need to be there for others yeah so what are some of the best ways that we can be there for me it might be my kids at home because that's where i'm at right now yeah. um, for others it might be their parents mm-hmm. it might be their friends or siblings or um, spouses or you know just friends uh, who, who give us some yeah. some ways that we can be effective hmm. in supporting others who are going through these emotional yeah. roller coasters I would say being available is probably one of the top of my list so knowing your people enough knowing your kids enough the people you work with those that you love and knowing when they're in distress and paying attention and leaning in so it's a kiddo who is scrapping after his brother for the fifth time that day and though they may often fight but this feels louder this feels stronger they're out of sorts differently I think it's leaning into that and trying to pull away to get to what's really going on to slow it down that doesn't mean permissive necessarily, but that does mean conversation. Um, speaking of conversation, I think it means knowing what you need and then putting that out there. So my sister who has two kiddos might need them to spend the night with me for both of them and for her. But me as a single woman, quite honestly, having people in my home right now, which is so very, very low, it's been so good to have like flesh people. It's good to be here, like you said, to start. (laughs) Um, So, and I think it's asking, I I used to, I'm really good at reading a room and figuring out what people need. That's kind of what a firstborn can do pretty well. I'm a pleaser as well. But I've had to figure out how to fire myself from that job because it's not my job always to know this. My job to pick up symptoms or signs or whatever we call them. It's my job to also ask because I might think, Drew, I know what I should do for you, and it could be completely off. Much different if I say to you, Drew, what do you need right now? I don't know what I need. Let's slow it down. <laughs> what are you feeling then? Can you breathe give me- a little bit? <laughs> breathe yeah, a little bit. That's kind of. And, and then let's together talk about what's going on and what would be helpful in that situation. Sometimes it's not fixing it. Sometimes it's not going to go away. It's sitting in the messy and saying, it does stink. And this is hard. And you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Something I've been even hearing, this reminded, this is not going to last forever that we know of. Even if our new normal never goes back to the old normal, wars have ended, pandemics have ended, Things end, which is a whole nother God thing that I love that time <laughs> helps us heal. There's going to be a day that this is either so normal that it doesn't feel distressing or that it changes in some way that feels like the old comes back. Sharing that truth can be also very helpful. So that would be, I know I'm getting really vague or general, but I just think people are too complex, too unique, too nuanced to have a one size fit all. Mm. I think it's slowing down, paying attention, asking, and sometimes also offering. It might be you saying, Deb, I am like punchy today. I want to hit things or yell at things. And I'm telling you, I don't know what I need, but I I probably need to figure that out. Can I talk to you about Mm. that? So I think we, 
we as believers to always know that that, you know, if we're going, joy, Jesus, others, and you, do we ever put our needs out there? I say yes, that it is not, joy does not mean we don't have needs. And so I think it's learning to identify them, sometimes even asking someone else to meet us in that place. Listening and asking. Listening and asking. That's really good. Well, thank you so much for um, what you do for our campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it's it's amazing. Um, thank you for what you do for students. Um, and, you know, uh, even in this time of uncertainty, thanks for the ways that you've stepped mm-hmm. up to still be there for students. Um, and uh, we can't wait to have them back here on campus. <laughs> I know. Um, I know. And that, that's why we are, we are a Christ-centered community, um, hmm. best lived out in person, flesh to flesh. And so uh, yeah. can't wait to have them here. But thank you for all that you do yeah. and for being on the podcast. Can I add one more thing? Absolutely. I, I think I would be neglecting a group if I didn't say this. There would be some folks that um, experience mental health challenges on a regular basis, mm. whether that is known or not known. These times may be making that shoot through the roof. So depression that feels lower. I mean, I think there's a lot of folks right now that are pretty nervous about where suicide rates are or where they're going to be, about the the trauma work that's going to be done when we're done. And so I, I guess I would want to say, though some people are doing better, though some people are struggling, but they're still doing life, there is a group of people that might feel very, very missed that their level of pain is screaming. And I would say to that group, I wish I could get you in a place where you could feel like you could talk to someone if you're not, but don't neglect it. Find a person. There are telehealth therapy options in lots of places. Do your own self-care. Treat yourself like you would your favorite person when your pain is loud and you don't want to do. That group of folks might feel super alone in a time that doesn't feel like there's any hope for it to be different. Mm. And if you know of someone, don't don't ignore that. And if that is you, would you let someone know? Mm. I would just plead that you – in our counseling center right now, one of the things we do want to put on the table is if you have – counseling needs in your area but you don't know where to start then then email us at counselingcenter at grace.edu so that we can help at least identify some resources that are in your neck of the woods that you could use that's a phenomenal resource and offer thank you because who knows who this will reach um that either is a advocate for someone else or Mm -hmm. needs to be an advocate for someone else or is in their own place of needing help but not sure where to turn um and if we you can be a resource you want to be so so thank you yep absolutely and thank you for listening to the grace story podcast music was written and produced by dr wally brath assistant professor of worship arts at grace college thanks to our co-producers andrew paladino and rick near and if you can do us a huge favor and rate or share this wherever you retrieved it from we would be so grateful until next time live your best grace story today